0: So we get upset with ourselves for being anxious, even though, you know, it's like, well, why do we do that? But it is just a really common thing. We know statistically that anxiety rates are much, much higher in people that have joint hypermobility. And it's really quite fascinating. So if you take a clinic of people, this, this is like what some of the, how some of the studies have been conducted. They looked at a clinic of people where they had a diagnostic code for anxiety versus people who had a diagnostic code for something else. And they looked to see how many were hypermobile in the anxiety group and how many were hypermobile in the non-anxiety group. And they found much higher levels of hypermobility in the anxiety group.
1: Hello, and welcome back. To another episode of the Bounce Ballerinas podcast. I am your host, Georgia Canning, and I'm very excited to share my conversation with the incredibly hardworking and passionate Dr. Linda Bluestein. Now, before we begin, if you're not already part of the Bounce Ballerinas secret Facebook group, then what are you waiting for? There's nothing secret about it, except for the fact that it's full of wonderful listeners of this podcast and many clients that attend my classes at Balance Ballerinas HQ here in Australia. So head on over to interact with like-minded individuals and let's all geek out on ballet together. Click join and I'll be sure to approve your request. You can find a link in the show notes below. Now, let me introduce today's guest. Dr. Linda Bluestein has been practicing medicine for over 20 years and has helped countless people restore function and improve their quality of life. Her special interest in treating performing artists who are at increased risk of hypermobility disorders stems from her many years as a ballet dancer and shattered dreams of turning professional due to her own hypermob- hypermobility disorder. You try to say hypermobility multiple times. <laughs> now. An integrative medicine physician with certification in performing arts medicine, Dr. Bluestein takes a unique approach to the evaluation and treatment of this highly specialized population. Dr. Bluestein is an international speaker on the forefront of research on pain hypermobility, and dance medicine. Professional services include individual telemedicine visits, as well as workshops and lectures for groups. Dr. Bluestein received her Doctor of Medicine from the University of California, Los Angeles School of Medicine, followed by the completion of an anesthesiology residency at the Mayo Graduate School of Medicine and is board certified by the American Board of Anesthesiology. Personally, I came across Linda's work when I was perusing dance-related podcasts. She co-hosts the Bendy Bodies podcast with Jennifer Milner, and they cover a range of really useful topics for dancers, dance teachers, and really just anyone interested in optimising their health. Now, it was an episode about the connection between hypermobility and anxiety that really caught my attention. And... As you'll hear in this conversation, I found Linda's discussion about this topic incredibly fascinating and really useful when working with my own clients. Linda is so smart, so driven, and I really respect the work that she's doing in this space. An absolute gift to the dance world, and I can't thank her enough for her own podcast and content that she shares so freely. Thank you so much, Linda, for also carving out some time to share yourself with the Balance Ballerinas community. So happy listening, everyone. And as always, you can reach out on Instagram at The Balanced Ballerina or find Dr. Linda Bluestein at HypermobilityMD. Welcome to The Balance Ballerinas podcast, Linda. It's a pleasure to have you and finally meet you.
0: It's great to meet you too. I love the podcast and I'm super excited to be a guest. Wonderful. I'm going to dive straight in because
1: I feel like with the title of this podcast, there's going to be quite a few people that go, what is hypermobility? So Mm -hmm. I wanted you to, before we even begin chatting today, define what that is, because I think it really confuses a lot of people.
0: Oh my gosh, it is. Just when I think it's getting more clear, I get messages and it's like, okay, we still need to keep like until everyone in the world knows because it's so, so important. So hypermobility means that a joint has greater than average range of motion. And some people might have that in one joint or many joints or no joints at all. It's simply a descriptive term. It's not a diagnosis. In the ballet world, I think the best thing to think about is hypermobile knees. The hypermobile knee or hyperextended knee or a little bit of back knee, you know, creates the aesthetic line that people are wanting. And that's a joint that is very easy to appreciate because the angle, you know, it's as opposed to being straight, it goes back the other way a little bit. So um, the hypermobility simply means greater than average range of motion of a joint. And so when, like, for example,
1: I'm hypermobile. I've got hyperextended knees. Um, fingers are going all which ways as I just oh, did yes. on the video. <laughs> yes. I see that. <laughs> but I've never found it sort of a problem um, mm-hmm. in my life. So when does it become something that we really have to monitor
0: or perhaps treat? Right. Great question. So... Some people that might have hypermobility may go their entire lives with never having a problem. They get the benefits of it, especially for, for ballet. Yeah, exactly. Some people will get the benefits, and, and which is fabulous, and they won't get the liability, which is, which is great. Um, other people, maybe they will make it until their teenage years when they start having menstrual cycles for females, or maybe they'll make it into their mid adulthood and they'll start running into more problems. So it's also a very age dependent thing. It's more common to have more issues later on in life than to have the problems that can be associated with hypermobility when people are younger. Now, that being said, I do have patients that, you know I asked them, when was the last time that you were well or you didn't have problems? And they're like, never. I've never, you know, from day one, the day I was born. So it's it's highly, highly variable. The things that we look for are family history. Family history is extremely important. Um, do the parents, the siblings, the children, you know, do they have chronic pain, do they have hypermobility, do they have problems with injury and other things that are leading, leading us to suspect that this could be really problematic or is the family history pretty you know, clean, so to speak, that there really are not yeah. much problems, so.
1: So what sort of symptoms or injuries are they coming to you with?
0: So if we think about the fact that um, these, pro- well, okay, so hypermobility, yeah. um, I always like want to make sure I back up enough. So hypermobility by itself is just the descriptor, like we said, for a joint, right? Yes. Symptomatic hypermobility means that a person or hypermobility disorders means that a person has symptoms that are likely attributed to the hypermobility. If a person has a hypermobility disorder, some of the symptoms that you might see are chronic pain. Um, And the pain can become really widespread, especially if it's not treated early. And this is why I want every single dancer everywhere to know about these conditions, because there's no such thing as too early to be aware and to just be thoughtful about if you have an injury, take care of it make sure that you allow your body the proper rest in order to recover, because once chronic pain sets in and sets into the nervous system, it gets harder and harder to treat. So it's really, really important to be proactive early on, especially if you you start to see kind of some little things here and there, be proactive. Um, We know that connective tissue is present everywhere in the body. It's present in tendons and ligaments, in, and, it's, and it's in the blood vessels, and it's all over, all over our bodies. Where we see things quite commonly are things like um, tendinopathies. We'll see kind of chronic, not tendinitis, that ends with an ITIS, that means inflammation. And, in, and oftentimes people will say, I have Achilles tendinitis, and you say, oh, okay, well, how long has that been going on? Five years. That's not tendonitis anymore. That's tendinopathy or tendinosis. Um, so, but that's a very common thing where people will have kind of ongoing micro trauma occurring in the connective tissues, and it just doesn't really resolve in the in the proper way. And the other challenge is, as we get older, our ability to repair our tissues becomes less. So, when we're really young, we can have little. Well, we always are constantly growing new cells and cells are dying in our bodies. And when we're young, that turnover is very, very quick and cells get replaced very quickly. As we get older, though, it's harder to to heal an injury. So that's part of why we notice these things more as people get older, because that's when they just are not able to keep up as, as well. Awesome. Yeah. I
1: feel like that was something I just wanted to sort of like cover at the very beginning of this topic Mm -hmm. before we get halfway through and someone goes, sorry, like listening, what is hypermobility? (laughs) But yeah, that is a fantastic, fantastic overview. So I wanted to now ask, how did you end up in this line of work? (laughs) (laughs) I I know, but let's share with the listeners.
0: (laughs) That's okay. I love getting to answer this question because I, I mean, you know, if ballet is in your soul, it is in your soul. And I grew up wanting forever. to be forever, forever. And I grew up wanting to be a professional dancer, more professional ballet dancer, more than anything in the whole wide world. But I started getting a lot of injuries as a teenager and um, chronic pain and having a lot of problems. And I had had problems earlier in childhood, but it wasn't anything that was going to stop me from dancing. And so I ended up having to come up with a plan B um, you know, when I was in high school and decided, well, if I can't do ballet, I'll go into medicine. And I did continue to dance until I was um, all, I danced all the way through medical school. I danced all the way through my residency up until I had my first child. And then time-wise, I was working as a full-time anesthesiologist and it just became hard to really keep that up. But, um, I worked as an anesthesiologist then for 25 years in the operating room when I started having more medical problems. And at that point, I did not know that I had a connective tissue disorder. I had no idea. I knew I had had a bunch of different seemingly unrelated medical problems, but I had no clue. My doctors had no clue as to why these things were happening to me. So Ultimately, I ended up not able to work in the operating room anymore because I had um, major bone grafting surgery in my wrist. And this arm is the thing for airway management, which is an absolutely crucial skill for an anesthesiologist. So at that point, I had to pivot again. And as I learned more and more about hypermobility and associated disorders, I was thinking, wait a minute, like in ballet, especially like talk about a population of people who are going to have a higher prevalence of this, because number one, it's more common in females than males. At least it's more symptomatic and more more evident in females. And females often require more treatment than males. And because of the aesthetics of ballet, it's very common to see hypermobility in ballet dancers. So a light bulb went off on my head and I thought, oh my gosh, this is a way to combine my love of ballet the things that I've learned over the years, the things that I had learned and how to help myself. Um, because I, when I got diagnosed with hypermobile EDS or Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, I was told by my rheumatologist, this is what you have, this explains what's going on, but there's nothing you can do about it. And I decided right then and there, you're wrong about the last part. <laughs> and I'm going to spend the rest of my life figuring out ways to help myself feel better And then people were begging me, like, you need to open a clinic so you can help other people feel better. And so that's how I ended up doing what I'm doing. So Mm, I think the best businesses are ones born out of a
1: necessity Mm -hmm. or a need or a personal journey that you go through yourself, because Mm -hmm. then you can really put yourself not only in the shoes of your patients, but you also just have that fire to really Yeah, do some good in the space. So that's awesome. Yeah. I um, wanted to ask you what are the biggest sort of misconceptions surrounding hypermobile students? I wanted to talk specifically about dance
0: students. Right. So the first one, I think, is that all hypermobility means that there's a connective tissue disorder. And that is yeah. not the case. You can be hypermobile for a whole host of reasons, including shape of the bones. Um, there there can be there's differences with different races, there's differences at different points of time in the day, whether you're warmed up or not warmed up, and um, due to alignment of structures, and there you don't always have an underlying connective tissue disorder. There can be an underlying connective tissue disorder, but not, but definitely not always. So that's the first misconception that I think is really super common. The second one is kind of the reverse of that, that in order to have a connective tissue disorder, that you must be hypermobile. And that's not always the case because what can happen is, or 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 that you're super flexible. What can happen is- Because you have a connective tissue disorder, the muscles can get very, very tight in an effort to get the joints under better alignment. If you have have joint instability, so hypermobility refers to range of motion, joint instability means that the joint has difficulty staying in proper alignment. So for example, if you look at the shoulder, if you have, if you have hypermobility of the shoulder, you're going to have more range of motion of the shoulder, but if it's unstable, it's going to usually the head of the humerus subluxes forward. So the head of the humerus can kind of fall forward. The thing is people don't know that they have that because I only know what my own body feels like. I don't know what it feels like to live in anyone else's body. And so I didn't know for until I was in my forties, that it's not normal for your shoulder to you know practically be dislocating every time you take off like a tight top you know you just do it you don't have any idea that that's not normal that's Uh, so true that's so true there's so many things that our bodies do and
1: then someone actually points out that that's not normal and you and you do just think it's normal it's like a dull pain when you finally have someone that that actually um treats that pain and then you go oh my gosh like I've just gone for the past six years thinking that's
0: normal yeah it's yeah. interesting <laughs> yeah for sure and and the the really common misconception that i think is so important is that professional dancers professional ballet dancers cannot have hypermobility disorders or in particular one of the ehlers danlos syndromes and that is definitely not the case now i would say that in order to achieve that level especially let's say you're a principal dancer with you know a company um, it's it's less likely than somebody who maybe they weren't even able to get into, into a company or continue dancing in their teenage years because they were having so many issues with injuries and things like that. But it is possible to get to that level and still have and still have a connective tissue disorder. I have a number of retired professional dancers in my practice and they They report that they had these unusual injuries, and as I look at their clinical picture, it's like, yeah, no, I think that you have hypermobile EDS. At this point in time, hypermobile Ehlers-Danlos is the only one of the subtypes of Ehlers-Danlos syndromes that does not have a molecular marker. We do, we do know that um, there's labs that are working on finding this and the Norris lab has found a candidate gene for hypermobile EDS, but we don't know yet what the genes are because there's probably going to be more than one gene. So there was an interesting study looking at the Houston Ballet and found that in genes that were not necessarily identified to be associated with specific disorders, they found a very high prevalence of abnormalities in those genes amongst the professional company, the Houston ballet. And so it was a fascinating study. And they reported what the prevalence was in those genes as compared to if you look at the, the genotype of quote unquote normal people, you know, non non-ballet dancers. And we don't necessarily know what the significance of that is, but we know that these are genes in that are involved in forming connective tissue. So it seems like, okay, it's, very, it's a very logical step to say it's probably related to the ability to achieve beautiful aesthetic lines, et cetera. So yeah. just because someone is a professional dancer does not mean that there's no possibility of them having one of these conditions.
1: Yeah. So for like a recreational or say an adult ballet student, say they're listening to this and they've never really quite thought about their hypermobility being an issue and a few things are clicking and they're like, oh, I should probably explore this a little bit more and say they don't live uh, in access to you, Linda, (laughs) what would be what would be their next step? or who would they talk to, or what kind of even movement or physical activity should they be,
0: maybe A, avoiding or B, incorporating? So the first thing that I would recommend is um, self-plug here my own podcast, the Bendy Bodies podcast. I created that specifically to provide information to dancers and other aesthetic athletes so that they, to raise awareness and so that they would also be able to have better access to the kind of information that maybe they could utilize in order to help themselves feel better, function better, have their body be at the optimal performance level and and that kind of thing, because we know that it is, it's hard to access that kind of information. And so I thought, well, this is a way to provide that information for it's free to the listener, you know, but, it, um, so that's why I, st- I originally founded the podcast, the bendy bodies podcast. I had found, co-founded, podcast. <laughs> Oh, thank you. I, I, I had founded the co-founded the hypermobility happy hour podcast, and I was enjoying that, but I wanted something that was specific to dance. So that's why I founded the bendy bodies podcast. When it comes to physical activity, Of course, it's very person-dependent and it's very important to listen to your body. What I find in general with dancers is they are so used to pushing through pain and they are so used to pushing themselves. And in general, I think we tend to be a group of people that are perfectionistic. We tend to be, we want to please our teachers and our choreographers and our directors. And so we, we don't always listen to our bodies, especially early on. So I encourage people to listen to their body, especially with a curious ear, you know, not an anxious ear because hypermobility and anxiety do tend to go together. So, um, that's, that's, I was going to ask you about
1: that. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. They do go together. So when it comes to specific forms of movement, um, I would say if I, if I had to pick something that people could look up and find, it would be, um, two things. One would be Pilates. Um, My co-host of the Bendy Bodies podcast, Jennifer Milner, it works with so many hypermobile dancers and she does great, great work with them. And I feel like if you have a knowledgeable Pilates instructor, they can really work with you to help you get that proper joint alignment and work on really nice, safe exercises in order to optimize your, your function. If you are somebody who maybe is, you know, you're not dancing full time, or like you said, you're an adult adult student, and maybe you're having a little more difficulty, you need to start at an earlier place. Um, I love, love, love Jeannie DeBond's zip. I'll say the zebra club, um, because that's of course how she, she's from the UK. That's how she would say it. The zebra club, the zebra club. And she also has a ton of YouTube videos. She has a podcast called finding your range and she's a fantastic resource. Wonderful, wonderful exercises and things that, So those are the two things that I think are most important for people to do. What I advise people to be very cautious with doing, number one, is with any kind of group exercise. What happens in a group exercise class is you are not paying a lot of attention to what you're feeling in your own body and you're trying to focus on what's going on in the class. Now, if if you're an adult ballet student, keep going to your adult ballet classes because Trust me, that is helping you stay strong, which by the way, it's all about strength. If you have the flexibility, you will have the flexibility. Yeah. Keep Keep focusing on the strength. That's super, super important. I'm thinking more so if you're going to like a group class, like a group, some kind of a group um, like CrossFit or something like that, where you know you may be paying so much attention to what's going on with the instructor that you're not paying attention to what's happening in your body. And you may injure yourself without knowing it, because what happens when we're exercising, we get something called exercise induced hypoalgesia, meaning that we have lower levels of pain while we're exercising because of all the wonderful neurotransmitters that we're releasing. That's why when we're doing exercise, we feel fine. And then it's the next day that we're like, oh boy, that maybe that wasn't such a good plan. What I tell people all the time is it's not a question of whether or not you can do something, but can you do it again the next day?
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. I my exercise regime has changed so much over the the past few years. Like I used to love CrossFit. I was CrossFit mad. Like I was I was yeah, I know. And the problem is like there's a few things that click there. I would be on such a high with the vibe of the room and the instructor pushing (laughs) and everyone cheering and you know like. I because yeah my body is hypermobile I would probably push myself into positions that were probably pushing it a little bit too far and Mm -hmm. then I just was not able to function the next day and I have found that I have and then you know that's not great being a ballet teacher (laughs) because I need my body to function Mm -hmm. um, and be able to demonstrate for my students but I've found that I've got a really good balance at the moment. I find the way that I teach has changed. It's even more demonstrating. And so that's actually a way that I keep my own body conditioned. But I actually have my twice a week Pilates. And one of them is on a Monday. That is with the the same instructor who has dance background. And that is like my Monday body check-in. And I never miss it. And because it's Monday, it's like tick, the week is ready to go. And I have found my body has almost changed as well, like for the better. And um, I just don't get injured and I don't feel fatigued and I don't feel like, oh, like I can't walk upstairs, you know, like it's just, yeah, you really got to listen to your body and sometimes pushing, like you said, as a dancer, pushing and hurting doesn't equal <laughs> results necessarily <laughs> so right yeah it's hard to break <laughs> that conditioning cycle
0: it it really is and the and the no pain no gain yeah type of philosophy you know when you're younger that's for most people it, it's 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 more you can get away with it you can get away with it and it seems to work okay because yeah when you get that like the DOMS, the delayed onset muscle soreness. It, it, I mean, it, it kind of feels good. It hurts, but it feels good because you're like, yes, I know that I worked really hard. Um, but as you get older, yeah, you can't get away with it
1: anymore. <laughs> no, exactly. Oh, I, um, you've touched on it briefly there when we were just chatting, but I was listening to an episode of your podcast. I can't recall exactly which one it was, but you were talking about the relationship between hypermobility and anxiety. And I find that so fascinating. And it actually really helped me with my a few of my students who mm. I made that connection with. And I even mm-hmm. shared that information with their parents and they explored it further. And so, A, thank you for that. But B,
0: can you share with the listeners that relationship? So it, it really is fascinating. And I will say that my own anxiety levels went down when I learned about the connection. And I see that in my patients all the time. When I explain to the, the dancer, the patient and the family, all of a sudden that, that being anxious about being anxious, the second part, you know, goes away. We judge ourselves. So we get upset with ourselves for being anxious, even though, you know, it's like, well, why do we do that? But it is just a really common thing. We know statistically that anxiety rates are much, much higher in people that have joint hypermobility. And it's really quite fascinating. So if you take a clinic of people, this, this is like what some of the, how some of the studies have been conducted. They looked at a clinic of people where they had a diagnostic code for anxiety versus people who had a diagnostic code for something else. And they look to see how many were hypermobile in the anxiety group and how many were hypermobile in the non-anxiety group. And they found much higher levels of hypermobility in the anxiety group. And then they do the reverse and they look at like rheumatology clinics and they look at people that have a diagnosis related to hypermobility and they look at people who have a diagnosis related to some other rheumatologic condition And they found that there was higher rates of anxiety in the people that have hypermobility conditions than in people that have other rheumatologic conditions. So it's really quite fascinating. I feel that this is an extremely important point because of the, we're so hard on ourselves, you know? Mm. And I feel like, especially as dancers, we're tr- especially as ballet dancers. We are trying yes, to do
1: specifically the in- ballet.
0: <laughs> yes, we are trying to do the impossible, right? And and there is no such thing as perfect, and you will, you're you're always striving towards that 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 goal that you you know. I mean, and you, and we I think so many of us now know that it's more important to be striving for excellence than perfection. But if you are a if you're wired towards perfectionistic tendencies, I feel like that really can be an uphill battle. So I do feel like understanding the anxiety piece can really help all of us who experience this, myself included, it can, we can exhale. We can say, okay, we, we don't, we can take a lot of the blame off of ourselves and be like, it's okay. I, I, find that connection
1: fascinating like truly fascinating and I have one particular student in my mind that I actually after listening to that particular podcast episode where it clicked for me of yours I relayed the information to the family to the mum and yeah that student she just was like oh so it's not my fault necessarily that I feel this way And it sort of gave her a bit of clarity and a bit of um just it was just nice she just felt like it wasn't um all her fault you know because i think that's the problem you feel like it's all your fault and you feel this way because it's you know something that you're doing not necessarily you know something about how you're built you know and and it gave her a lot of peace so um, thank you for that. But as a dance teacher with many students, I wanted to ask you about your opinion on how dance teachers, you know, especially ballet teachers, can support their students with hypermobility. Are there is there anything in particular we should be doing in class or focusing on or looking at um, in
0: regards to that space? So one of the most important things is even just having an awareness of hypermobility, I think can be very, very helpful. Before the pandemic, I would give more talks in ballet schools. And now more of my talks are virtual. Um, But when I would talk in ballet schools, I would look around and, and of course, people are all flopped into unusual, you know, positions. They're, they're, they're hanging out in the side splits for, you know, the entire hour long talk or, or whatever it is. They're just, you know, I mean, you know, you're, you know, you're a ballet teacher, you see this all the time or they would be leaning on their hyperextended elbows, for example. And so I would point that out to them. I would say, look, you are leaning right now on your elbow. Your elbow is bending backwards. And in some cases, (laughs) yeah, right, right. And in some cases quite extremely. And I would point out that there are aesthetic advantages to having hyperextended knees. We wanna be very careful about where that knee is in space, especially, you know, dependent on whether it's the standing leg or the gesture leg, but when it comes to elbows, there's no advantage to leaning on a hyperextended elbow. There's no, I, I can rarely think of a, especially for ballet, like there's no, there, there aren't times where you want that look of, you know, that, that extreme hyperextension of the, of the elbow. So we don't want to be leaning on a hyperextended elbow or doing other you know, party tricks. So what I do when I have um, patients in for an assessment, I will ask them what their part, if they have party tricks. And if they do, I ask them to show them to me and I videotape them. And I say, now don't do that anymore. Uh, Unless, unless you're in the circus, (laughs) right. Right. Unless, unless you're in the circus, you don't need to be doing circus tricks. Um, And I used to do this all the time. I would show off by putting, you know, my feet, both of my feet behind my head and popping my hip in and out. And you know, I would do, I would show off these tricks, um, but I had no idea what they meant, you know, and I had no idea that popping my thumb in and out, I didn't realize that that could catch up with me later, just because it did not hurt at that time, didn't mean that it was gonna be okay later. So I think that's the first thing is, helping the students to be aware without making them more anxious, just having an awareness of, you know, maybe that's, is that, just thinking it through, like, don't i think i think it's better rather than telling people don't do that think about do you think that's a good idea to be doing that on a repetitive basis mm. so that's the, so that's the first thing the second thing is proprioception so proprioception is knowing where your body is in space without looking and it's very common for people with hypermobility even if they don't have any other symptoms related to hypermobility it's very common to have impaired proprioception so you know, even me with the knowledge that I have, um, I love Zumba, I haven't gone for a while now, but when I would go and I would look in the mirror and I would go, oh my gosh, I'm hyperextending my elbows all over the place. You just don't feel it, you're not aware of it. Um, so working on proprioception can be very, very beneficial. As ballet dancers, we are used to having a mirror, except for performances, of course, um, but but we're used to having a mirror for a fair bit of the time in class and in center, of course. So I think you know, turning away from the mirror for this, for center and trying to do other strategies that will help dancers improve their proprioception can be very very beneficial. The last thing that I would say is um, really encouraging your dancers to cross train so that they're working on strength, because that is so, so important. It is the muscles that will protect the joints. Muscle muscle development is critically important in order to maintain proper joint alignment and getting joints in proper alignment. So that's the last piece that I think is most important for um, dance teachers. Correct me if I'm wrong,
1: but perhaps one of the reasons why I never found my hypermobility an issue is that I've always had a really athletic build and mm. I can build muscle and strength really easy. So I mm-hmm. feel like that's why I've sort of never had any issues. Thank mm-hmm. goodness. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, so it's more, I think, are you saying also there that it would be a good idea to really keep an eye on those students that are a little bit more I need another word, Linda. Give me another word for, I always go with like Gumby, you know, like <laughs> just like a bit more.
0: Right. Long. So, so yeah. So, <laughs> so, so I, am glad you brought that up because I used to have this in, in some of my talks and I, I'll, you know, as, as, um, as dancers are getting farther apart, I think from the age that, that I am, I wonder, they get, is this going to resonate with them? But yes. So yeah. Gumby is that green character that you could bend into shapes. Raggedy Ann is, you know, floppy. So is the dancer more like Gumby? They can, they can do all kinds of incredible things, but they, they are able to develop the muscle or are they more like Raggedy Ann where they're, where they, where they just can't organize their body and they just have difficulty with that building muscle. And another, um, Mary Elena Ruiz was one of the guests on our, on our podcast on bendy bodies. Incredible, incredible, um, uh, ballet instructor, and and she talks about noodles. And she trained cisk Sisk, um, who, you know, has a, an incredible uh, career, of course. And there's other dancers now at, at the school that uh, I know one in particular that they, they refer to her as noodle two, that Ann was noodle number one, and this other young dancer is noodle number two. Um, so are they more Gumby? Are they flexible, but they have muscle development? They're able to really build that protective muscle? Yes. Or are they that kind of like super lanky almost to the point of, you know, it being problematic because they just cannot get their joints in proper alignment. And they really, they're, they, maybe their core, they have a lot of trouble building any kind of stability in their core. And um, they have difficulty with scapular control, for example. Um, And, and that's, That's I think a good way to think about it.
1: Awesome. I um, saw a recent post that you put up on Instagram about healthcare professionals and just (laughs) all being kind to one another. And I just wanted to sort of like finish our conversation with just having a chat on how are you going during times, these times at the moment, you know, healthcare professionals are under just such a huge amount of workload and stress.
0: How are you doing, Linda? Oh, you're so sweet to ask. You know, it's funny because, in some strange ways, I I feel bad that I'm not helping my colleagues out. I mean, I get calls like almost every single day from local because I spent the last few years of my uh, my anesthesia life doing something called locum tenens, which is like substitute teaching for for doctors and so those companies are i mean they're they're desperately trying to fill these voids that they have hospitals all over the place and that job was so hard before and now every time you walk into the hospital you are putting your own life at risk i am very very fortunate that i am not in that in that position i have my own practice and so i i can set the terms and i'm very very fortunate That being said, there are days where there are days where I, where I feel really good because everyone that I see, they're really grateful and they're more, if they're not positive, they're at least, I don't know how to describe it, but it's, it's a, it's a good feeling. And then there's other days where it's just like, oh my gosh, I, you know, so, so it varies, you know, like probably most people nowadays, but, um, It is. It's really, it's really hard. There's a lot of people that are suffering and, you know, on, on both sides. And my husband is a, is a surgeon and he recently retired and, you know, it was, it was hard when he was, before he retired and, you know, he'd have to go in in the middle of the night and know that he was going into a patient's room with COVID in the ICU to put a catheter in or whatever. And, you know, he'd change his clothes in the garage. And, you know, so I, I just, I just feel so much for, for my colleagues. I hear more and more stories about verbal abuse and, you know, just really tragic things where in the beginning, there was so much appreciation and, you know, a lot of, um, I think, you know, realization of what healthcare professionals were going through. And now I think that because there are, so, it's so difficult being a patient. It is so, so difficult. Appointments are so short. They're hard to get. It's just so hard to get the care that, that people need and deserve. And I think the most important thing that I want people to realize is that physicians go into medicine because they want to help people. they truly do. Along the way, things happen and especially now in more recent years where, where you're kind of in that brain reptilian survival mode and you just you're just trying to get through each day. and I think that that's what's happened with with a lot of my colleagues and I'm hoping that 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 will change as we hopefully move through this last wave and, you know, onto, onto better times. So, yeah, me too. I feel like whether
1: it's, you know, healthcare, um, professionals or whether it's, um, small business owners, there's just so much confusion and people are scared. And I mean, in Australia, we've just made a mess of everything. (laughs) And so it's just an ongoing, yeah. And your message about it's just so simple and I think it's sort of thrown around a bit now um so it becomes a little bit uh cliche but just be kind and Mm -hmm. me myself like I check myself constantly too at the moment like okay Georgia like just be kind like if I receive an email that you know someone doesn't like our mandates about masks or our mandates about you know how many people can come in the foyer or I just have to try and put myself, and I think that's what it is. It's just putting yourself in other people's shoes and taking a big breath. But speaking of, speaking of, and because you have listened to the podcast, you know that this question is coming. How (laughs) do you stay balanced?
0: Oh, boy. You You are a busy lady. (laughs) Yeah, I, I am. It's exactly what you said in the beginning, though because i am combining my passion for learning and medicine and i i just love to read and learn and i love 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 ballet of course so it's like combining my two favorite things in the in the world so i do though find myself working very very long hours i have to tell myself to follow my own advice that i give other people turn the computer off and you know um Watching performances, I, I have to say um, I am so grateful to all of the companies that are offering live streamed performances to those of us that, you know, cannot get to a theater for the, for the ones that are actually able to do live performances. Um, obviously, the, this has been just incredibly challenging for, for um, companies, for performing artists. It's just been incredibly challenging. Um, it's such a gift though to be able to that that's what brings me joy watching a performance um right now i'm in the middle of reading a couple of amazing books about ballet dancers and that just that gets me into a state of flow if you're familiar with Um, I can never pronounce the name of the, the gentleman who first came up with the concept of flow, but that's what gets me into a state of flow. I'll be watching some live stream performance again and again, and again, and again, and i will look at the clock. Oh my gosh. (laughs) You know, um, I'm often multitasking when I'm doing some of these things, but it's um, that's what really brings me joy. And I try to keep just bringing myself back to the present moment. That's the other thing with anxiety. It's forward focused, it's future focused. Mm -hmm. So I just try to tell myself if I start feeling out of balance, if I start feeling anxious, What about right now? Where am I right at this very second? Oh, I'm okay. I'm going to, you know, I have a roof over my head. And so I think that, um, yeah, it's, it's a great, it's a great question. And I, I love, I love what you're doing. I think it's fabulous. Love your podcast.
1: Thank you. And um, I was just going to say, as you were talking about just remaining present in the moment, my um, best read, I think, last year was Eckhart Tolle's A New Earth. And that mm. is, I don't know if you've, have you read that one? I have. Yes. I have. Yeah, that that was, because there's a lot of books on presence. And that is the, like, that is the only one that really clicked for me. Like, mm. really clicked. Yeah.
0: yeah and exactly. I had avoided
1: that book for so long because it was such like a, it's not that I avoided it. It's just, you know, when there's a book that everybody's reading and it's on the bestseller mm-hmm. list and you're like, oh, like I'll just, I'll, you know, I'll read something different. There's a reason mm-hmm. why it's on the bestseller list. There's a right. reason why everybody's reading it because it is that good. <laughs> so, right. Right. but yeah, I, um, there's that fabulous quote about not worrying about things that haven't even happened yet because it's mm-hmm. just a waste of time and effort. Um, right. That's something I literally plaster on my desk at work and home
0: so <laughs> and and I have yeah. done that oh my gosh I, you know I, as an anesthesiologist i used to tell people my job is to be an obsessive compulsive pessimist because you need to have a plan a a plan b a plan c if something goes wrong that's not the time to be thinking about what your plan is going to be you need to think ahead what are the bad things that can happen you prepare for them and you You know, and most of the time, it's like flying a plane. Most of the time, things go well, but when they don't, you need to really be ready. So um, it's really, it can be really hard to get out of that mindset, you know hundred percent well thank you so much linda um
1: i'm so glad we finally got some time to sit down and do this and um, i can't wait to share your conversation with the balance ballerinas community um welcome to now the balance ballerinas alumni (laughs) (laughs) I'm i'm thrilled
0: yes thank you so much for having me it was great to chat with you